Welcome to another episode of The Central Word, a podcast ministry of Central Baptist Church, Texarkana, Arkansas. Today's episode is from the morning message of Sunday, September 17th, and is preached by our pastor, Brother Mike Sylvie. Our desire is that this message builds you up in your faith as you walk daily with Christ. Here now is Brother Mike preaching from Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 8 through 10, a message titled, The Ten Commandments, An Invitation to Reality. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. So the second commandment can be wrapped up in in this statement Don't let images be elevated to God-like status in your life. Images can be elevated to God-like status when they replace true worship and there is a sinful thirst to entertain and play instead of worship. In the past, images have been a problem in that way. You remember when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, it didn't take them long their, their first big stop there at Mount Sinai, Exodus chapter 32, they made a golden calf and they said, this is the God who has brought us out of Egypt. And they proclaimed a feast the next day and the Bible says they sat down to eat and to drink and they rose up to play. That's taken an image that's not real. That golden calf was just um, an image of something. And they bowed down to it and they worshipped it like it was God. And so anytime we take an image and we elevate it to God-like status, it claims our attention, it claims our focus, it claims our heart, then it becomes a graven image. And the Lord prohibits that. This um, will be a problem in the future. Revelation chapter 13 tells us that when the Antichrist comes, they're going to build a huge image to him. And the false prophet's going to have supernatural powers, and he's going to make the image speak. And it's going to wow the whole world. And they're going to be commanded to bow down and worship that image as they worship the Antichrist. And so they're going to break that commandment when the Antichrist comes. But in our generation today, we don't really have a problem with, oh, just just a second, I'm getting something here on my phone. Let me see what this is. Wow, look at that. That's incredible. Have y'all seen that? Have y'all seen this? How in the world did they do that? How in the, where did they get that? Just a moment, I'll get back to the sermon in just a minute, okay? Okay. I have, got, I have got to post this to the 200,000 friends that I'm connected with on, on, on Facebook. Just a moment. I've got to do this. We don't have a problem with images, do we? Every single day, and I look this up, 
It's on the internet, so I assume it's, it's correct. <laughs> but it says that every single day, there are 2.1 billion images downloaded to Facebook, 3.8 billion to Snapchat, and 1.3 billion to Instagram every single day. And so if you have one of these things, you have a temptation in your life to let images take over in your world. If we let an image, which is not real, take us away from our focus on what is real, upon God, upon his kingdom, upon the things that he's given us in our life, our family, they become graven images that pull us away from him and the life he wants us to have. And so we can have a problem with it. Now, we break all of the Lord's commandments. One thing that we learn from the study of the Ten Commandments is we all need grace. We all break every one of them all the time. And so we can't come to God through our own merits. Ten Commandments are not given so that we can check off the, uh, you know, enough of a percentage on them that we'll squeak in. That's not God's purpose with the Ten Commandments. The purpose was to show us that we can't make it on our own merits and to trust Christ and His grace because He fulfilled every one of them perfectly. But it's also to instruct us and show us how God thinks and what God likes and what God loves and what He's all about. What's real with Him? God is into reality. And God wants the best for you and me. And so this commandment's about God's invitation to reality. To think like him, to act like him, to care about and focus on the things that he focuses on. And those are real things. Those are eternal things. That's what this commandment is about. Well, look at three signs of a graven image from our text how do you know you have a graven image or how do we know when an image has become a problem? Because obviously uh, not every picture is a problem. Uh, there are pictures of artwork and other things that uh, we, we are blessed to look at. And there's nothing wrong with a pretty picture. It crosses the line when, number one, the image decreases our view of God. When the image decreases our view of God, it becomes a graven image that's prohibited. And so an idol or a statue or even a picture that's meant to represent God can become a graven image. The principle behind what verse 8 tells us, that we're not to carve anything according to the likeness of things in heaven above and earth below or in the water uh, underneath us and represented as a divine thing is because of this principle. And it's in your notes. God cannot be confined to a physical image. That's impossible. The Bible says that God is spirit. God is not flesh and blood in his divine nature. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit has, have existed forever in all of eternity past, if we can say it that way, as 
a divine being that is spirit without limit, infinite. You can't draw a line and say, here's God and he doesn't go past this. He is infinite. There's no limit to his being. That's why an image is wrong that represents him. It's because it always will represent less of who he is. That's the next blank in your notes. A carved image always results in being less than who God is. What about pictures of Jesus? We have a picture around our church building that portrays the human likeness of Jesus. Is that wrong? I would say no, that's not wrong, and that does not violate this commandment because Jesus did take on limitation. Jesus did, in human form, take on human nature. And there's nothing wrong with trying to, out of reverence, to represent the physical Jesus. Now, as long as we understand that we really do not know what he looked like. We don't know if he had 1970s hair all the way down to his shoulders. <laughs> we don't know if his skin was light and complected like all the Europeans that painted the picture in the first place. And, and so we got to realize that that's just a human representation and we shouldn't take it as gospel. And here's where the line is. We should never bow down to it and worship it. It's an image. So we look to the Bible, God's word, for the true picture of who God is. And there, John 4.24 says he is spirit, he's infinite. 1 Timothy 1.17 says that he is the king, eternal, invisible. That he is the only God who is wise and he is due honor and glory Forever. That's why Deuteronomy chapter 4, the chapter right before the list of the Ten Commandments, spells it out very clearly. Chapter 4, verse 15, take careful heed to yourselves. For you saw no form when the Lord spoke to you at Horeb, that's Mount Sinai, out of the midst of the fire, lest you act corruptly and make for yourselves a carved image in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, or the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, or the likeness of any fish that is in the water beneath the earth. And take heed, lest you lift up your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the host of heaven, you feel driven. Notice that. You feel driven to worship them and serve them. Images are powerful. Pictures move us. Pictures can stir up an emotion within us. The emotion is real, but if it's, if it's focused on something that's not real, then it crosses this line that God's put down. That as we come to him in worship, as we think about who he is, if we focus on his uh, greatness, we should not have any limits to that picture. So the picture that we see in scripture is the one we're to hold in our mind that he is unsearchable in his greatness. He is omnipresent. At same, he can be everywhere all at the same time. He is omnipotent. He has all power that exists. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He's never learned anything. 
All this is the picture of God that we have in our mind, and that's the basis from which we worship. And so number one, we should never let images decrease our view of God. Then number two, graven images become a problem when images divert our attention from God. This is what verse 9 talks about, that it would divert us away from bowing down and serving God. Instead, we bow down and we serve the idol or the image. And this violates the principle that's found in Scripture that God cannot take second place in the world that he has made. He says very clearly in Isaiah 44, verse 6, I am the first and I am the last. And besides me, there is no God. Now think about that. He says, I'm the first. I'm here at the front of the line. I'm first. But then he says, at the same time, I'm last. I'm at the back of the line. I'm first and I'm last. And besides me, there's nobody else in this God line. Nobody else is there. Nobody else qualifies. Nobody else measures up. Nobody else is God with me. I'm the first and I'm the last. In other words, he's saying, there's nobody else in the line. There's nobody that's, that's, that's second. Uh, I'm the only one. And I certainly am never to be in the place of second. I'm everything. So a graven image can do that if we take that image and we let it divert us away from focusing on the one true God. And if we do that, verse 9 tells us that God responds. Verse 9 tells us something interesting. We don't read this very much in the Bible, but here is one of the few places where it talks about the nature of God as being jealous. God says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me. And so when we divert our attention to anything else or anyone else other than God in our worship, in our heart focus, then it makes God jealous. Now with us, when we get jealous, it's a negative thing because we feel like we're losing out on something. And in a selfish way, we're trying to get more for ourselves. But with God, it's not selfish. It's holy. He is looking at us and he is saying, I do not want you to miss out on what is best. So that's God's jealousy. God's jealousy is God's desire for us to have the best. And he's the best. That's why he gives us this commandment not to stray away from him because he knows the moment we do, it hurts us. And he loves us so much it hurts him, but not in a selfish way, in a holy and righteous and divine way. And then thirdly, there's a problem with images when those images displease the heart of of God. Did you notice what, um, how God describes what these images do uh, due to the interaction with him? He, he calls it iniquity. So as we do this, we are bringing iniquity into our interaction with God. And he regards it in verse 9 as hatred. He says, those who do this, they're hating me. 
And because they are doing this, God says, I will visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. That does not mean that there's a generational curse that we can lock into and there's nothing that can be done about it. I know that's a popular cultural uh, thought from the past that, that there are generational curses, but I don't believe in generational curses, not with the grace of God. I believe that that when, when God sees a generation going astray, what he's teaching us here is that he cannot sit idly by and do nothing about it. But he will begin to visit that situation. He'll begin to visit those families. He'll begin to visit those people to try to turn them back to him. And he'll do it with tough love. He'll do it with consequences. So there are consequences implied here, but it's not a curse that he just throws out there and then for the next three or four generations you've got to hang on, it's going to be a bumpy ride. No, that's not what he's talking about. Because the heart of God is explained to us in the next verse, verse 10, but showing mercy to thousands, to thousands of generations, to those who love me and keep my commandments. So the principle that we see here is that God cannot sit by and do nothing when generations of people disobey him because he's merciful and gracious. God's heart is to turn sinners back to himself and to show mercy to them for thousands of generations. Now how long is that? Well, in the Bible, the average generation is about 40 years. <clears throat> our our Life cycles lengthening that somewhat, but in the Bible, that's pretty much uh, what you see. And so, thousands of generations, thousands times 40, is 40,000 plus generations, or 40,000 years. You think about that. It's very likely that there has not even been 40,000 years yet. We don't know for sure, but the Bible's chronology shows us that probably it's within a window of six to ten, 10,000 years at the most that is the age of the, of the earth. Why do scientists say it's billions of years old? It's because God created it with the appearance of age, just like he did with Adam. Three seconds after Adam stood up, he looked like he was 30 years old. He was a fully grown man. And I think God created the, the, the earth and the universe with that same appearance of age, and so we look at it, and we don't see an accurate picture through the scientific telescope, but in the Word of God, we do. And it's not all that old. It's for sure not 40,000 years old. So in this statement, God is saying, my mercy has no end to it. That my mercy that I want to show to those who will turn to me and come back to me, even though they made mistakes, there's no end to my mercy. I want to show it for thousands of generations to those who now who will love me and will follow my commandments. That pleases the heart of God. So what are some safeguards that we need to take? I jotted down a few practical points for us here as we think about dealing with our images Number one, begin the day with prayer and God's word, not with looking at your phone or your newspaper. Now, for some of you of a past generation, 
I know the newspaper is what you go to first, and many times nowadays that's an image on a tablet or electronic device. And, and we can get, you know, kind of in this routine where we just want to kind of know what's going on out in the world, and before we think about it, we're just flipping on the television or we're looking, checking our phone. You know, that thing starts dinging at us from 6 a.m. on. And we want to know what in the world is coming our way. And uh, if we let that come first before our time with God, I think we're walking down the wrong road in our day. We're beginning to focus on the wrong thing. We need to focus on God first because we need him in every part of our day. You've got a hectic day. You're having to get up real early. You need, to, you need God more than anybody else. You need to spend that quiet time with God. doesn't mean it has to be an hour, but it means you need to put that focus on him first and get full of him and depend upon his grace to be able to go through your day like you need to. Because the one who creates images that are false and the one who says, if you'll just bow down to those and worship me, then I will give you all these things that your hearts desire. That, that enemy of all truth, he's going to be trying to throw things in your way all day long. So first we put our focus on God. Number two, look at images but don't focus your life on them. We just need to start training ourselves like Job did. He said, I made a covenant with my eyes and I'm not going to look at things I shouldn't look at. He made an agreement with his eyes. He thought about it ahead of time. And he said, I'm going to train myself to only look in certain directions. And in the same way, we need to make sure that the images that come before us, even the good ones, that we, we don't put too much focus on them, but we keep our focus on God and godly things. This is 1 John 5, 21. It says, little children, keep yourselves from... Idols, and that word idols there is the original word for image. It's not idolatrous image. And so 1 John 5.21 is one of those places in the New Testament where the second commandment is repeated. And whatever is repeated in the Old, New Testament from the Old Testament, God through his grace expects us to pursue it and to try to live up to that godly standard. We're not trying to earn our salvation. We're not trying to keep it. We're trying to be like him. And the more we're like him, the more we're blessed and the more we bless other people around us. That's the pursuit. Number three, note, study, and memorize the attributes of God. Those that we talked about earlier, those that you can come across in your daily Bible reading. You need to begin to put those in your mind and heart when, so when you call on the, on the upon God and call upon the Father, you think about him in these terms, that he is the king, eternal, immortal, and invisible, that there's no limit to his nature, that he's merciful and gracious, he's long-suffering, he's abundant in goodness and truth. He bows down to us and humbles himself to us. And and we have all of these concepts in our mind and we address him in this way and we worship him based on those thoughts. Then finally, number four, any images in our life that divert us from God should be disowned. Titus 2.11 says that the grace of God teaches us that we should deny 
ungodliness and worldly lust. Deny here means to disown. It means you recognize that it doesn't belong in your garage. And so you don't put it there. You don't put it in your heart. You don't put it in your mind. You don't put your hand to it. When we moved into our house, and we actually started carrying some small stuff over uh, the week, this past week, I was carrying small stuff over every time I came to Texarkana. And one of those days when I drove up, it's actually the first day, drove up and there was this nice trailer in the backyard. The uh, former owners left it. And it was a better trailer than I had. <laughs> and uh, I walked up to it and looked over it. And um, I knew it wasn't mine. But for a moment, I thought, it'd be nice to have this to move this stuff in. <laughs> All I got to do is just back up to it and go. <laughs> but I didn't do that. I left it right there where it was because it wasn't mine. It looked nice. It, worked, it would work better than mine. But for that moment, God had not given me that trailer. I didn't own it. And it's easy for us to understand that and practice that with, you know, material things. But sometimes when it comes to matters of our heart and our desires and what we're wanting and what we're really focusing on in our life and pursuing, we cross that line and we take things that are not ours. God says... Do not take those things because my grace gives you much more. My grace gives you all that you need and even better. My grace through my Son, through the Holy Spirit, will give you abundant life. And you can trust me. We cannot approach God. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Central Word. Our prayer is that this message will encourage you in your walk with Christ as we dive into God's Word each and every week. Thanks again for joining us, and may God bless you in the week to come.